Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the cross of your Son. And we are here because through his cross, we have come to see your love for us. And that is why we are here. We have seen your love, and through your love, we have come to see you and come to know you. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that my flesh may get out of the way so that you can speak through me, so that you can reveal your love again to us through your word and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters, if you don't have a Bible at hand, um, I recommend you um, finding one or perhaps um, getting some app on your phone or some internet access because we will need uh, you to follow along in the Scriptures this morning. But I invite you now to turn in, the, in your Bibles to uh, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Reading from verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And from chapter 4, verse 7 in 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The reading of his word. Well, this morning, my brothers and sisters, we come here because we've seen God's love. In particular, we've seen God's love in the cross by his sending his son to die for us, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that is why we are here today, because of God's love. And as we come into our Easter season, we self-consciously turn our attention to the sufferings, the passion of our Lord. Our sin and guilt, which required such a great sacrifice in order for us to be forgiven. And I believe inevitably we ask ourselves if we have truly lived in the light of his cross. And so we come here this morning to worship him and give him thanks 
for what he has done. In the words of the scriptures, we have seen the light of the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this, um, this biblical idea of seeing God, my brothers and sisters, the New Testament describes for us as fulfilled in the revelation of Jesus, namely in, the work of his, um, in his work of salvation upon the cross. But how well do we as Christians understand this doctrine of seeing God, or what the Bible says about that? And how does it relate to the story of Easter? Because throughout the history of God's people in the Bible, we see that the idea of seeing God comes up now and again in important events, including the story of Easter, Jesus dying for us and raising again from the dead. And uh, for instance, we, see, uh, we remember Moses who climbed the mountain and asked to see God. We think also of Isaiah, who in his temple vision sees God when God calls him to warn the people. We can also include Job, who finds that all his doubts and questions, all his concerns evaporate when he encounters the almighty, wise, and gracious maker of heaven and earth. So also in the New Testament, we see Philip asking Jesus, please show us the Father. And yet, my brothers and sisters, in the first chapter of John's gospel, we read that no one has ever seen God, no one has ever seen God except by the revelation of Jesus. The point there being that whenever anyone is said to have seen God in the Bible, it was actually Jesus. It was actually Jesus they were seeing. And this becomes most explicit explicit when John uh, speaks of Isaiah, saying, And Isaiah saw his glory and spoke of him. When we actually turn to Isaiah, in in Isaiah chapter 6, this is what we read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. No wonder then, when Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, without denying that Jesus and the Father are different persons, and yet in the words of Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, and in Hebrews, the exact representation of his being, Jesus says to Philip, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. To paraphrase that in language that we may be more familiar with, Philip, you want to see God? Well, you're looking at him. And also in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, at this stage, you might be wondering, what does seeing God have to do with the story of Easter? And I'm going to have to establish the point that in God's revelation of himself, in the person and work of Jesus, this is described by the Bible as a way of seeing God, that is, through the gospel, comparable to the way that the prophets saw God in the Old Testament, including Moses. After we establish that main point, we're going to draw out three aspects, or three points. One. What does this miracle of seeing God in the gospel of Jesus, in the story of Easter, mean for who we are? What does our seeing God in the story of Easter mean for how we live? And third, 
What does it mean? Uh, how it points to a greater way of seeing God when he returns and what we will then become. But let us first turn to that fundamental point that in the story of Easter, we actually do see God. So um, we're going to have to recap what we've looked at in my previous sermon. And if you're like me, you probably have the memory of a goldfish. So let me um, fill, that out, fill you in uh, what we looked at at that time. Now, last time I spoke to you, we looked at salvation from sin and its connection to living a life of holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus. And what we saw there was that unbelievers are described as blind, blind to the glory of God. And in this blindness, they don't know God and they are in a form of slavery. They are trapped um, in their sin. And Paul asked a rhetorical question. Why then should we do good if we are saved by grace? And he answers this question by saying, yes, sin is a form of slavery, a form of slavery that unbelievers cannot escape. On the other hand, and also says that this slavery of sin causes negative consequences in our lives, things that unbelievers are stuck in because of their slavery. In contrast to that, when God saves us, and listen carefully to these words, When God saves us, he miraculously, in the words of 2 Corinthians, opens our eyes to see the glory, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And Paul, in that text, he compares this seeing of God in the gospel of Jesus to how Moses saw God up on the mountain. He also compares our seeing God in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection as a comparable to his, uh, God's miracle of creation, saying, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has caused his light to shine in our hearts. Well, having said that, let's turn to the, the first point. What does um, our seeing God in the story of Easter mean for who we are? And so we turn to that uh, main text that we looked at, the first text, First uh, John chapter 3. And I ask you to follow along closely. So looking at what it means for who we are. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, how? For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope In him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let me pause there. Now we see here that John is speaking of when Christ appears, and he says that his appearing transforms us. It is not a mere physical seeing. When Jesus appears, we will be changed. We will become like him because we shall see him as he is. And I'll ask you to keep hold of that word appeared because it reappears in the text. Um, Continuing. And verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, if you recall the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, here we see that this is fulfilled in Christ's return. When Jesus returns, we shall see him, and until then we purify ourselves and look forward to that day. 
continuing in verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But do you know that he appeared, there's that word again, he appeared so that he may take away our sins, namely on the cross. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. In contrast to that, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, that is a lot to take in, so let me clarify what we're looking at here. In this text of John, he's speaking of two appearances of Christ. One, when he appeared to take away our sins, that is, on the cross. And two, when Christ reappears in his, uh, in his second coming. And we see also that there are two effects. When Christ appeared to take away our sins, he changed us, so in the words it says, and no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. In contrast to that, those who continue to sin, who do not know the Lord, have neither seen him nor known him. Friends, what this means for us is that through his appearance on the cross to save us from our sins, we have been changed. Coming to know the Lord through his gospel is not just a mere matter of knowing facts. It is being changed by God. It is a miracle of God opening our eyes to see him and living in us. And we look forward to that day when Christ appears and we are made like him. Well, now we have to ask, what does that mean for how we live? And so we look at our next text in chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let us pause there for a moment there. We see here that to know God is to know his love. And to know him, to know his love changes us so that we are born again and that we are able to love one another. Continuing from verse 9. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, we know that we have seen the love of God in the story of Easter. We have been confronted by it, and that is why we're here. But this love of God that we have seen changes us. He now lives in us, and because of this love, we ought to love one another. It is God's love living in and through us. In verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that God is lacking in love and we have to top it up? What it means is that God's work of love is continuing in and through us because he makes his home in us. He comes to live in us. And so because we love one another, this is God's work of love through us. Now, this may all seem like a complicated way of saying what we already know, that we love God because we've seen his love for us in the cross. But my friends, this coming to know God and his love is not an ordinary event. It is a, is a miracle. God opens our eyes and changes us. He makes us his children and he comes to make his home within us, to live in us and to, uh, through us to love one another. Now, the source of uh, 
the source of our love, our Christian love, we find is in the person and work of Jesus. Now, this type of gratitude that we have, uh, we have for God is not just a mere token gesture of, say, sending a letter off in the mail to say thank you. No, through God's love for us, we have been changed. We have seen God's love and we have fallen in love with him. It is now our delight, as, as, we, three, as we read in the Heidelberg Catechism, it is our delight to live in love for him and live in a way um, in obedience to him. So what does that mean in real life? What does it mean with boots on the ground? Well, you probably heard that um, we have to forgive one another in order to be forgiven. You may have also heard that we have to um, do good works because unless we do so, our faith is dead. And in 1 John, we also read here that uh, we have to love with words and act- uh, with deeds and actions and not just mere words. Does that mean that um, faith in Christ is not enough? Does that mean that we have to add to it? Not at all, my brothers and sisters. It means that if we don't love one another, if we don't forgive one another, if we don't love each other with, uh, with deeds and actions, then we don't really have true faith. We are not really children of God. And chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, we read, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Well, how do we apply this in our lives? Let's say we cut off in traffic or someone in church says a nasty word to us. Any difficulty we have forgiving them is not simply resolved by just trying harder to do the action. Now, we have, to, we have to remember that it is an act of love from the heart, and it has to come from the source of our love, from God himself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't forgive or care for them just because we think it's something we have to do in order to be saved. That is not love for them. That is love for ourselves. If you struggle with forgiveness, my brothers and sisters, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look at him on the cross, pouring out his blood in forgiveness for you. Feel the gravity of his forgiveness for all the sins you have committed. See in Jesus' eyes the forgiving heart who willingly suffers in your place, knowing that you and I will continue to sin again and again and again and again and again. And now hear his call to be the channel of his forgiveness to those who have done you wrong. If you struggle with pride, look to Jesus who has the God of the universe, the one whom Isaiah saw lifted up, the one from whom the angels had to hide their face and the light of his glory who cry out, holy, 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 how this eternal God humbled himself being born and placed in the food trough for goats and donkeys. That is what a manger is. That the God who causes your heart to beat, who allows your lungs to fill with air, even when we would speak words of sin and filth, that this God would allow himself to be hit in the face and treated as worthless, laughed at and mocked, in order to save you and I who are worth nothing, 
we who are just dust. Hear the call of the God revealed to us in Good Friday. To follow him and live in the light of his humility. And don't we dare think for a moment that we are too good for that. That to follow Jesus' example is beneath us. If we struggle with materialism and envy, look to Jesus, who as God but also as a descendant of David, the rightful heir to the throne of the Jews, who did not have a place to rest his head as he followed the calling of his ministry, seeking to serve and not be served, and to bring glory to God. See the love Jesus has for you above the things of this world, who didn't give in to temptation to gain the things made by humans' hands, because he wanted to save you, offering his body up as a sacrifice. How can we this Easter meditate upon the love of Jesus for us and then go away seeking to be satisfied with the things of this world? As Christians, we're supposed to live in the light of Jesus' love for us and allow to direct the way that we live. If we truly know his love and how undeserving we are of it, it should be a sweet joy to please him. And he promises us that if we rest in his love, then we will be satisfied in him. See in our lives areas where the way we live is not consistent with being someone who knows or who has come to know the God of love. And know that when we stumble, there is forgiveness for us, for those who do make it their daily work to serve him and live in the light of his love. One more thing to say about how seeing God in the story of Easter changes how we live, is that to live in the light of knowing God's love for us is we should not live in an attitude of defeat. Recall in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that this love of God, which makes us his children, looks forward to a final victory when we will truly overcome every aspect of sin in our lives. And although we are not sinless yet, we have truly been set free from the power of sin and the supernatural work of God making us his children, giving us his spirit, coming to make his home in us and living through us, is a real power we have to overcome sin more and more every single day. We don't purify ourselves in vain or without reason. We do it because we have been given the power to walk in the Spirit. So don't only make it your practice to ask for forgiveness when we have sinned, but also give thanks to God that as often as by His Spirit, we overcome sin and overcome temptation. We are to live in the light of Christ's victory over sin and death. And yes, we do live in the shadow of his cross, but his cross is a cross of victory, looking in certain anticipation to his resurrection. So my brothers and sisters, what does it mean for who we will become? Well, if, if you call, recall in 1 John chapter 3, as we saw, when we see Jesus, we'll be made like him. Now, this truth is worth uh, remembering for a number of reasons. For one, there is the view that we have to be perfect. 
before we can come into the presence of God, before we can see him. And one prominent writer that I personally like, C.S. Lewis, he held to this view himself. But we see here that that places the cart before the horse. It is only through coming acquainted with Christ, actually seeing, um, seeing him as he is, that we are made like him. Because of Christ's appearance to take away our sins, we have become children of God, and we have the right to boldly enter into the throne room of God as his children. And we look forward to the day that when he comes, with confidence, knowing that when we see him and when he welcomes us, welcomes us with open arms, we will be made like him. Now, the truth of the gospel at that day will be vindicated. And Jesus' authority over the whole world will be undeniable. Now, on a personal level, for us Christians who've held on to the love of Jesus throughout the years, for us who pray with gratitude for all that he has done for us, for us who sing songs of praise for the suffering he endured on our behalf, that day when we see him coming will make everything else seem insignificant. When he comes in victory to call us to his side, when we actually see with our eyes the scars in his hands, when we see the wound in his side, will we not want to just hold on to him? Won't we fall at his feet with tears, with love of gratitude? For what he, the one who made the world, endured to save us, on that day, all the distractions which keep us from seeing his love in the fullness of its beauty will fall away. And we will come to know for the first time the height and the depth of his great love for us. This Easter, as we reflect upon what Jesus did for us long ago on a hill far away, see upon that cross God's revelation of who he is. See on that cross the heart of God. Fix your eyes upon it so that God may more and more live in you and as you are changed by it and live in hope as we look with the eyes of faith to that day when we will see him face to face and be made him like that encounter. And this Easter, my brothers and sisters, if you think you love him now, wait until you really get to know him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for revealing your heart to us in the cross of your Son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we go away not thinking, it of, thinking of it as just some ordinary aspect of our Christian lives, some ordinary event that just occurred to us, Lord, but it is a true miracle, a true transformation of who we are to become your children and that you have chosen to make your home in us and to carry out your love through us. So, Lord, change us, Lord. Help us to gaze upon the face of Jesus and hold him as central in our lives so that we may be transformed. And as we look forward to that day when Jesus returns, that we can hold him and embrace him, that we can know, Lord, the height and depth of your love for us. For these things, Lord, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen.